And to give you a little bit of context to this passage we're looking at, the Israelites have just been in the wilderness for about 40 years, and finally, after all this time, they are about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy is a didactic book, meaning that it's a series of speeches Moses gives to the people before they enter the land as a way of preparing them for this new stage of their journey. So follow along with me as I read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that in all things this morning that you will be glorified. We pray, Lord, that as we look at this passage, we will see your heart for families and also, Lord, your heart for all people from every nation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amanda was running out of chances, and Gail knew it. Amanda was a 16-year-old girl who had already bounced through all the local foster homes, and now it looked like a group home was her only option. Amanda had been abandoned by her mother when she was only five years old, and her father was abusive. And every time she entered into a foster home, her hope quickly turned to distrust. Each ended with more hurt and rejection. And because of the lack of love that she received in the foster care system, she eventually hated everyone in that system. She became a loud and fiery teen who was deeply hurting from a life of longing for a family but never finding one. Gail served as a court-appointed special advocate whose role was to promote Amanda's best interests. As Gail walked alongside Amanda, trying to help her find a family, she was quickly realizing that Amanda's situation was getting more and more dire as Amanda was getting close to turning 18 and becoming an adult. Will Amanda find a family? Our passage today addresses our need for a spiritual family, and we're going to be looking at three main points from our passage today. The first is that the Lord is our God. The second point is the Lord is God, is the God of families. And the third point is the Lord is the God of nations. 
So the first point we see is that the Lord is our God. Now, there's a repeated phrase you see all throughout the Old Testament that's honestly really easy to, to overlook. And it took me a few times of reading this passage to pick up on this repeated phrase. Well, what is, what is this repeated phrase? Look with me at, at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord, your God. And again in verse 2, the Lord, your God. And in verse 4, the Lord, our God. And again in verse 5, the Lord, your God. This repeated phrase is emphasizing to the Israelites that the Lord and the Lord alone is their God. Now, remember, the Israelites have just come up out of Egypt where they're slaves for almost 400 years. And how did God deliver them out of this land? God delivered them, the text says, out of this land with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm by sending the ten plagues on the land of Egypt. Now, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, Egypt had many gods over different areas of life. One of those gods was called Hapi or Apis, who's the god of the Nile. What was the first plague God sent on the land of Egypt? God turned the Nile River into blood. Another Egyptian god was the goddess Heket. He was the goddess of birth that had a head of a frog. Well, what was the second plague God sent on the land of Egypt? God sent teams of frogs across the land. And another Egyptian god was the god Set, the god of the desert storms or the earth. Well, what was the third plague? For the third plague, God told Moses, strike the dust of the ground and the dust will become gnats. So you see, for each plague God sent on the land of Egypt, there's a corresponding Egyptian God. And so during the ten, ten plagues, there's this epic showdown between the gods of Egypt and the God of Israel, Yahweh. And every time Yahweh, the Lord of Israel, is showing all Egypt and all Israel that he alone is God that the gods of Egypt don't stand a chance against him. As a matter of fact, they don't even exist. The Lord, the God of Israel, alone is God. The Lord is the one who delivered the Israelites out of their slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The Lord is the one who saved the Israelites when they were trapped at the Red Sea. The Lord was the one who provided food and water for them when they were in the wilderness. The Lord is the one who has brought them to the promised land and is about to give them this land. And Israel, this God who has done all these things for you is your God. Right before giving the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, 6, the Lord says, I am the Lord, your God, brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, then goes and gives the Ten Commandments. In junior church, we have been learning the Lord's Prayer. Well, what are, what are the first words of the Lord's Prayer? Somebody else's father, right? No. Our father. This is where it starts. 
This is why we obey and follow all God's commands, because the Lord is our God. We don't obey God's commands so that he will be our God. He is our God. Therefore, we obey. So my dad was, uh, when I was growing up, he was a, an air traffic controller at the Dayton Airport. And when I was little, I loved jets and airplanes. And almost, you know, all my toys were either a jet or an airplane. And uh, so in my young eyes, my dad had one of the coolest jobs ever. And I remember in 2003, when Dayton was celebrating 100 years of flight, they put together this amazing air show. And because my dad worked there, we got to experience one of the most amazing things ever. So we all pile into our car, and we're heading over to the airport. I mean, you can just picture me in this scene, my face just beaming with excitement about to go and experience this awesome air show. And so we park in my dad's really you know, cool special spot all the way up on the side of the airport, and he leads us as a family to the side door where he swipes his card and punches all these numbers, and we follow him through this door. And then we get to go back behind the airport where we see all the airplanes, and we can hear the engines roaring, and we see people loading luggage into the planes. And I mean, I'm just loving it as, as a kid you know, who loves airplanes and jets. And then my dad leads us all the way up to the top of the tower. And there's controllers there looking at their radars with their headsets on. And I mean, you can see for miles and miles and miles in every direction. And then my dad, he leads us out this little door at the top of the tower onto the catwalk on the outside of the tower. And we got to watch this amazing air show from the catwalk of the tower. And I can remember at one point, one of the Blue Angels, while we were on the outside of the tower, buzzing over the tower. I mean, we were like right there. It was just right there. And I mean, I didn't know if I'd ever be able to hear again in my life. <laughs> but it was one of the coolest experiences ever as, for me as a, as a child. And I just, after experiencing all of this, I just look up at my dad and think, you are my dad. I get to experience all of this because you are my dad. Faith Church, we get to lift our eyes to the one true God and say, you are our God. The Lord who spoke the earth into existence is our God. The Lord who yearns to be gracious to us is our God. The Lord who saw us in our utter despair and hopelessness and sent his Son to bear our iniquity is our God. And the Lord who made it possible through Jesus to be his family is our God. Not only does this passage show us that the Lord is our God, but it also shows us that the Lord is the God of families. Look with me at verse 2. So that you, your children, and their children after them, and then again in verse 7, speaking of the commandments, it says, impress them on your children. 
Well, who is Moses speaking to? Parents. He's speaking to parents. These commands the Lord gives are for families. And as Moses is speaking to parents, he is saying, it is your responsibility as parents to make sure your children know God's law and commandments. You are the one to impress them on your children. This is your job. But parents, before your job of impressing God's commands on your children, you have another job that is fundamental and must come before impressing God's commands on your children. Verse 2 starts with the words, so that. Well, what must happen so that your children will come to fear the Lord? Look with me at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe so that your children may come to fear the Lord. The first job of the parents is to observe the laws themselves. And if your children, if you want your children to fear the Lord, you can't simply impress God's laws on them. But you yourself, as their parents, you have to observe those commands. And you have to keep those in, the, in your hearts. You have to believe that these laws are actually good. And you have to make them a vital part of your life. And you may be out there and you may be thinking, well, I, I don't have any children, so I guess this doesn't apply to me. Or maybe you're thinking that this passage doesn't apply to you because you're already past the child-rearing stages. But in our passage, Moses is not just talking to parents. Moses is talking to the whole community of Israel, to those who have children and those who do not. Even those who don't have children play a vital role in impressing God's commands on our children. Back in April, I got to experience something for the very first time. I got to experience the baptism of my first child. And one of the things that was particularly special about this was that my father-in-law, as an ordained pastor, was able to perform the baptism at our church in St. Louis. And I can remember standing up in front of the church with Hannah and Felicity, hearing these vows that were given to us, and responding with the words, we will. And every time I responded with those words, I felt a weight of responsibility to these very significant and weighty vows. But then my father-in-law, he turned from us, and he turned to the church. And he had the church take vows as well. And when I was up there, feeling the weight of responsibility, the vows that I had just taken as Felicity's parents, I heard the church responding to their vows that they were taking to support us with the words as a unified voice in the church saying, we will. And it felt like a foundation had been built underneath me. It felt as though this is how it will be possible to raise my children and the goodness of God. This is how it's going to be possible for my child to know the goodness 
of God. And as a church, we are a covenant family. And we have taken vows as a covenant family to support one another in the raising of our children. None of us here this morning gets to say, this is, this is someone else's job. It's our job, our job as a covenant family to make sure that our children in this church are raised knowing God's laws and commands and knowing that they are good. This is God's intention for the church. The Lord is the God of families. The final point from our passage today is that the Lord is the God of nations. Now, remember where the Israelites are. They're about to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And Moses is speaking to them, preparing them to enter into this land. And one of the things he does in verse 1 to prepare them is he says, all these laws that you have just received, observe them in the land. Now, let's take a moment to just recognize the significance of all these laws that they have just received. So the Lord has just given them all these really detailed and specific laws as he is making them into a nation. And in the midst of giving them all these laws, he says in Leviticus 19.2, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. This is the purpose of the law, that Israel will be holy, will be set apart just as the Lord himself is holy. Israel's holiness, by keeping these laws they have just received, is to be an imitation of the very holiness of the Lord himself who gave that law. And this law that makes Israel holy, our text says, observe this law, be holy, in verse 1, in the land. Now, why is this, why is this specific land so significant? And why is it so significant for Israel to be a holy nation in this land? Well, think about where this, where this land is located. To the west, you have the Mediterranean Sea. And to the east, you have the desert where no one lives, no one travels. And to the south, you have Egypt. And then to the north, historically speaking, is where all the other major empires and nations will be. And right in the middle of this, you have the promised land. A tiny, insignificant land, yet one of the most heavily traveled lands across the face of the earth at the time. And this land is the land where the Lord tells them, be holy as I am holy. By keeping the law in this land, Israel is to be a reflection of God himself to all nations. Israel is to be a light to the nations, so that when all people from all nations see the holiness of Israel, they will see the holiness of the Lord. When they see Israel ascribing dignity 
to human life, they will see God's love for all humanity. When they see Israel practicing justice and mercy in this land, they will see that the Lord is a just and merciful God. God's covenant with the Israelites was not just for their own blessing in the land, but it was also for the blessing of all nations. This was the second part of God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, through one, verses 1 through 3. And the end of that, the second half of that promise was that all peoples of earth will be blessed through Abraham. The Israelites, as they pursue holiness through the law in this land, it is meant to be a blessing to the nation so that when the world sees Israel, they will see a reflection of God himself. Talking about morality, C.S. Lewis uses the illustration of the human machine. Essentially, what he says is that humanity and creation itself are like a machine that must have a machine maker. The machine maker has made that machine for a purpose and is the one who knows how that machine is designed to work. And C.S. Lewis says, every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine. That is why these rules at first seem to be constantly interfering with our natural inclinations. When you're being taught how to use any machine, the instructor keeps on saying, no, 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 don't do it like that because of course, there are all sorts of things that look right and seem to you the natural way of treating a machine, but do not really work. Just as any machine must have a machine maker, creation must have a creator. And that creator is the one who knows how creation is designed to work. So when we live within this design, we live within the way creation was designed to work. And when we do so, when we live within God's law as God desires for humanity, we are showing all nations that there is a creator, a creator who designed the world good. And as we, when we are holy, as the Lord is holy, we are a reflection to all the nations of God's love towards his people and his creation. The reality is um, we, we just utterly fail at this. Just as, it, just as the Israelites failed. Because we're constantly turning to lesser things than to, to God. But fortunately, God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham was not dependent on Israel. Even though they failed, God remained faithful to his promise to bless the nations, to bless the nations through one person, through the seed of Abraham, who would be the ultimate light to the nations. That in Jesus, salvation comes to all nations. Galatians 3, 14 says, He redeemed us 
in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. We are the Gentiles. We are the nations. And we get to experience the blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ because the Lord is the God of nations. The Lord is the God of nations. Amanda, in all her hurt, was longing for a family, but she was running out of time. As Gail saw that Amanda was constantly bouncing from family to family, Gail knew she wanted to help. And one day she was listening to the radio when she heard a song by Mercy Me called Beautiful. And she listened to the song, and these are the words that she heard. You're beautiful. You are made for so much more than all of this. You're beautiful. You are treasured. You are sacred. You are his. These words moved her to tears. So she called her husband and said, that's the message God wants to give Amanda. And I'm pretty confident we're supposed to be the ones to give it to her. Their first step was to bring Amanda into their home and become her foster parents. It wasn't easy, but her and her husband remained faithful through the many challenges. And six months after Amanda moved in, Gail was out floating on a raft with her sister in the middle of a Wisconsin lake, and Amanda swam over and said, Mom, I want to be adopted. The adoption process was finalized just 12 days before Amanda turned 18 and aged out of the foster care system. Speaking about her experience, Amanda said, I was amazed by how much this family could love someone they didn't even know. I was sure that what I wanted was to be a part of this family for the rest of my life. Faith Church, we are the family of God. We too, just as a man of war, without a family, wandering, lost, and hurting. And now, because Jesus Christ has brought salvation to the nations, we too get to look up to heaven and call the one true God our Father. Let's pray. Lord, it is an indescribable privilege, Lord, that we get to call you our God. And Lord, it is not a privilege we get because we have obeyed the law and followed your commands. It's a, it is a privilege because you have made us your own people through Jesus Christ. Lord, you are a God who longs to bring all peoples to you. Lord, we pray, God, that we as a church will be a light to this community, a light to the nation, so that all people 
will see that you are a God of justice and mercy, that you are a God who longs to bring people into your own family. Lord, we praise you and we praise you, God, that we get to call you our Father. Amen.